You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We're going to continue on in our uh, series here in Matthew, series. We'll be here for as long as we need to be here for. And I'm super excited about what I have to say today, so I hope it comes out well, because I'm pretty excited. So it's either going to be like a blubbering mess, and you'll be like, that was interesting, or you'll be like, wow, that was really cool, and I'm excited now too. Um, So... Let's talk about this. So where, where have we been so far? We hung out and we uh, looked at Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, the Galleon, the good news. All right, let's try again. I didn't teach that very well. Galleon. U means uh, a good, and Galleon means announcement or news. So good news. And this gospel is very, very good news. It's good news for the people that read it 2,000 years ago, and it's good news for the people that are reading it today, including me. And this gospel is about the people who maybe aren't, aren't going to be included or didn't think they were going to be included. Like even a, a tax collector wrote it. Can you, can you imagine a tax collector writing a gospel? What does he know about good news? And so when we think about this good news and what does it look like uh, for, for good news, we looked at this, this power-packed punch right out of the gate. He comes in, he's like, Jesus is Messiah, and let me tell you this lineage. And then it was the Jerry Springer lineage of all time. And I had somebody come up to me like, I did look up Manasseh, and that guy was awful. And he was in the lineage, Jesus doesn't mean, he, you know. But like we look at this lineage, and he writes this to this Jewish audience because they're going to they're gonna be like taking hits with this and being yay and no and yay and no. And so they're feeling the words that Matthew is writing. So last week we talked a little bit about Joseph. How many people like were like, wow, Joseph was like the real deal. He's not just the character that stands on the side during the play that never gets to talk. Like he's the real deal. He's an obedient guy. And then this week, if we were to follow it, we'd talk about uh, the, the Christmas message, which I talked about for the previous four weeks during Advent. So we're not going to talk about that. We're going to skip all the way. We did talk about Joseph going to Nazareth or going to Israel and then coming back. So we didn't totally skip it. But now we're going to be in chapter three. And let's, um, let's just dive in. Who is this John? And what is he baptizing for? And why is he in the wilderness? And what does he think he's doing and who do people think he is? So join me as we dive into God's word. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. 
I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up the children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and the tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, burning up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord, Matthew chapter 3, through verse 12. If you've read that over and over like I have this week, and if you investigate the text, there is an astounding amount of details in this short verse, those short 12 verses. There is so much meat loaded into this text. There's so many things that he's saying to his people that they're just like, pow. they just took like 10 or 12 shots right there, like gut punches. And they're going like, what is going on? What are you claiming? What is, what is this? So let's talk about this. Who is this John? John the Baptist. So John was also born under some uh, miraculous uh, circumstances. His father was uh, Zachariah, was a Levite, was a priest, and his mother was Elizabeth. And they were well in their years and ages. You can read about them in Luke's account. They were well along in their age, and they didn't have any children. And uh, they were like, ha. Like God's like, you're gonna, Levi went to the temple, and, uh, or excuse me, uh, Zechariah went to the temple and God's like, you're going to have a child. And he's like, <laughs> right, we've been trying that. We've been putting in the work and it ain't working out for us. And we're pretty old. And God's like, doesn't matter. And so they have this child and guess their child is John the Baptist. And John is Jesus's cousin. It is very likely that John and Jesus hung out together in their family thing. It is very likely when they traveled to the feast that they would have been like the boys throwing rocks at each other while they're walking to Jerusalem and hanging out and do it. Well, Jesus probably didn't throw a rock. If he did, that'd be kind of cool though, huh? Jesus just tagging him with a rock, you know? No, so they, like, they would know each other um, and they would have spent and done some life t- uh, together. And so um, he is an interesting character. Um, and so right out of the gate, we're hit with some pretty interesting details. And it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Why do you need to know where John was doing what he was doing? Remember when you read the text, like the details matter. They're not going to, like, it's hard to write stuff. Like, you've got to kill a lot of animals and have a lot of scrolls uh, to write. Like, it's not like you just, oh, let me, let me back that up and delete. Hold on. Let me go, oh, you know, let me, cut, let me cut and paste. No, like, this is a painstaking process of writing the text. And so when they're doing that, they're not going to, like, mince words. Details matter. So he talks about this Judean wilderness is where he was writing this. Let's take a look on a map and go there so we can understand a little bit of the geography because it matters in this text. It matters with all of our texts, but it matters for sure here. It's a beautiful picture of John the Baptist. I don't really know if that's what he looked like, but anyway. You know what's cool about this particular map is it does give you a great understanding of the height and depth of different things in Israel. So, for example, Jerusalem's about 2,400 feet above sea level, and Jericho, which would be in the area that this story could be happening around, is 840 feet below sea level. 
So when you think about like that's a jaunt over that short a period of time. And then when you drive up to Jerusalem, if you're in Israel, you're like, you're coming. You're just, the bus is just chugging along trying to get up there. So when you hear in the text, they say they went down to this place and they went up to this place. They're being like, yeah, it was like legit down. And so when you think about this, uh, this area right here in the Jordan uh, River Valley, at the end of this, you have the Dead Sea just south of it, and you have the Jordan River Valley, and we're given a detail that John was baptizing people in the Jordan River. And so this is a pretty traditional place. There's a great tourist spot that people go to where Jesus was traditionally uh, baptized, and it's like this muddy, dirty water, and people are going there, uh, and you can go to see like where Jesus was baptized. But what's also interesting about this space is this is the space that they believe that the, uh, the Israelites would have crossed into the promised land. So they're leaving, fleeing Egypt. They do the Red Sea thing. They're coming through and they come up here and this is where they're going to cross the, this place and go into the promised land, the, the land that God has for them. So there's a lot of historical significance about where this is and like why we're out here. And, and this promised land, right? This is like now, now what they had done in the promised land as they crossed the promised land, they crossed the promised land and they did everything eh, like didn't quite work out the way they had hoped, right? If you know the story, they crossed in the promised land and did they take hold of it the way that God had, had designed for them to do? No. But the kingdom is coming. You know, it's interesting also about this. When you look down to Qumran, uh, Qumran is where they found all of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And that was pretty significant. If you've heard about this, it happened in the 1940s and 50s. It was significant because it confirmed the text. The text that we had at that time, uh, it brought us back like eight, 900 years earlier that, to know that they were the identical text. That nothing had changed over that eight or 900 period. They were the same text that they had then as they did at, at our previous uh, you know, oldest text that we had. And they believe that the people that wrote these scrolls were called Essenes. Now, Essenes aren't in the Bible. You don't see the name Essene in the Bible, but have you heard of Pharisees? How many people? Pharisees? Yeah. How about Sadducees? Yep. Essenes. We know a little bit about them, but it's, a, it's one of those three sects that kind of broke off uh, in Judaism during, that t- during this time frame. You had the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are... And here's a, here's a great guess. You're trying to figure out which one of these three sects you'd belong to if you, were, if you were there at that time. And all of us might come up with different spots and you're like, oh, well, I want to be in this, but I'm not acting like this. So Pharisees are all about the law. Like, and they make laws around the laws called like fence laws. So here's like the 632 laws that we have to abide to show that we love God. And then we're going to build another 3,000 laws around those 632 laws. So we never even get close to breaking those. And we're all about the rules and the laws and the laws and the laws. And then you have this group called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees are the political like money kind of movers and shakers, wealthy people controlling things in the temple. And, and they're, they're kind of working around. And so the Pharisees are probably middle-class people. The Sadducees are, are, they're worried about them. They're worried about their resources and like they're kind of forgot about the kingdom. They're pretty focused on their retirement. They're pretty focused on what they have and what they're going to get and what they're going to gain. They're not that concerned about the kingdom of God. I don't know anybody like that. Maybe me. Maybe I would have been a Sadducee. Well, not upper class yet, but, you know. 
So you have the Pharisees and Sadducees, and you have this group called the Essenes, and they believe that John was, had some characteristics of being an Essene. There's debate about whether he was an Essene or not. But the Essenes got so fed up with what was going on with the Pharisees and all of their rule keeping, and you're out, you don't keep, hey, you're out, you messed up, you're gone. And then you have uh, the Sadducees, which are the political money-changing kind of movers and shakers, and they got so disgusted with all this that they decided to, that the kingdom would come by being obedient to the text. And they went out and they created their own weird kind of group. No women could be in there, because that would be distracting. And they were so fanatical about the text that they would get to the name of God, for example. They would get to the name of God, and there's three people writing this, these scrolls, maybe some of our Dead Sea Scrolls, and they get to the name of God, and they're like, okay, G. Can you verify that's a G? That's a G. Can you verify that's a G? That's a G. Okay, great. Everybody off to mikvah. We got to come back over here and ceremonially cleanse ourselves and wash ourselves and bless, bless my, my mind, bless my mouth, bless my heart, bless my, my feet, bless my hands, Lord. Help me stay clean. Okay, let's go back. Oh. Does this look like an O to you? Yep, that's an O. That's, and they were so fanatical, like to write the word of God, they would just go back and wash and be clean to wash over and over again because they wanted to make sure that they had God's word accurately and correct and that they knew what it was. And so when you think about the location of where we were, we can go back to the map for a second. We're in this kind of uh, Jericho where they're crossing the river. We're, we're in Qumran, not far from Qumran where these dead sea scrolls were found. And this is John the Baptist. He's hanging out out there. The Essenes, they were preoccupied with the heavenly Messiah. Who would bring a heavenly kingdom? The Essenes hoped that the Messiah would find people who were prepared to reestablish the true priesthood and the kingship of David and battle the forces of spiritual darkness, not like these Pharisees and Sadducees. So let's move on. A whole nother verse here. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. We've talked about this. I did a sermon a while back on Teshuva, getting back on the path. Some of you remember me climbing over these, uh, these stairs right over here. It was a good time for you. But let's take a look at this uh, sign that I have here. That we have here. It says Teshuva. This is return permitted. This is a U-turn sign in Israel. And so when it talks about repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, John is saying, hey, we got to come back to the path. And it doesn't mean to just turn around and come back. It means Where you fell off of it, go back and get on it and stay on the path. And why is this path so important? Why why does it matter? Because if you stay on the path, the kingdom will come. If you stay on the path, you're going to be righteous in in your living. Got to get back to the path. Return, repent. And John's baptism, as he talks about, is the baptism of repentance. He was urging people to return to the true way that he understood that that the kingdom was going to happen. And then here's something really cool that uh, Matthew does is he ties things back. Do you know Matthew talks directly to the Old Testament 62 times more than any of our other gospels, our other gospels. He directly ties back. So he's super Jewish and he's tying people back to a story. And so when he says this next piece, he's tying them back to Isaiah 40. And they would know they're like, okay, well, what does Isaiah 40 mean? And you guys all know what Isaiah 40 means, right? No, we would have to look it up just like I had to look it up this week. What is Isaiah 40? The kingdom is here is what he's saying. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is now. It's near, it's close, it's here, it's, it's happening. And here's what it says, Isaiah 40. 
It's a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Well, interesting detail that we had at the beginning of our text about this being in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. You guys better not have cheated and went ahead and read the next part after that because, oh, that's right. Maybe he was preparing the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged, rugged uh, plain. Places of plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So he's calling directly back to this and saying like, wait a minute. Make straight your paths. Prepare the way for the Lord. And that's what we find John the Baptist doing. And you can see it even in his language when he talks about the sandals that he's not even worthy to carry. That he feels he's humble and he is called to prepare the way for the Lord. The text goes on to say, uh, uh, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All the people are like grass and their faithfulness is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, Pharisees, Sadducees. Which one's the flower? Which one's the grass? I don't know. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our, of our God endures forever. Who brings you good news? What? To Zion, go up on a high mountain. Who brings you good news to Jerusalem? What? Good news? Lift up your voice and shout. Lift up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Well, isn't that an interesting connection that John or that Matthew is making and why he puts that in the text and where that would take all the Jewish listeners of this? So wait a minute. Are you saying that you're preparing the way? And are you saying that, 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 that you're real close now? Matthew is highlighting what John the Baptist is doing. If we do this, then God will show up. If we make our path straight and we don't turn to the right and we don't turn to the left, then the kingdom will happen. If we stay focused on the king, or focused on the king and kingdom will reign in our community, in our lives, in our hearts. And right where this happened, in this area where they crossed over, it takes you back to like Joshua, chapter one. So they're going to cross into the promised land. So they're at a location, and he's tying back to text. And it says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all uh, the law my servant uh, Moses gave you. Do not turn to the right. <laughs> Do not turn to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Stay on the path. Return to the path. Stay on the path. Return to the path. Stay on to the path. I want to tell you a quick story. I got the privilege to go to Israel in 2015. And we stopped on a highway for some weird reason. And 40 people jumped out of the bus and jumped over a guardrail. Didn't know where we were. But seems kind of weird. Not a real touristy stop when you have to jump over a guardrail. And you have to like make sure you're not going to get bit by rabid dogs and stuff. And there's people holding a rock just in case you got to pound a dog in the head with one of those. Because the dogs aren't nice over there. No, some of them are. We jump over this guardrail and we're walking 
and I didn't know this at the time, but basically what we were doing is we were just doing a half a trek that Elijah did. We were walking up Mount Carmel. And what an interesting adventure that was. Uh, some of us were not as quite in good shape. And uh, if you remember the story, like Elijah does quite a few reps of that. Um, but this was a different experience for us. And so we're all making our way, this weird way up to this tourist spot up there. And along the way, we stop and our teacher stops and he says, you know, it's pretty nice to be walking on a path, isn't it? And you're like, yeah. And there are some nasty sticker bushes in Israel. And it's usually rocky and, and sticker bushes. And he says, you know, this is a great spot for a lesson. Here's what I want you guys to do. I'm going to run off the path, and we run too. So just follow. Okay, you follow your rabbi. Follow your rabbi. Follow your rabbi. Do what he's doing. Run off the path. And so like, like wild people, Carrie was with me. We run off this path, and we're running, and it is slicing and dicing up your legs. Like you're getting cuts. Not like deep cuts where you're going to bleed out, but you know you got cut. And then Carrie falls down into some, some awesome uh, sticker bushes, which was great. And so I got to go over there to help her get up, and I think I fell too. And so getting up, and you're pulling stickers out of your hands, and you're pulling stickers out of your legs, and you get back off to the path, and it's like, the path is good, isn't it? Being on the path makes sense, right? How many people have been off the path before? Spiritually or physically? Like, bummer, right? Like, you get off the path, you're like, I got a shortcut, and sometimes it's not a shortcut. Anybody experience that? So staying on the path is critical, and how do you stay upon the, on the path? Well, you, first of all, you've got to know where the path is. And what is the spiritual path? Like, what is part of the path as you follow God? Is it being engaged in a community? Is it reading God's word? Is it worshiping God? This is part of being on the path, I hope. I hope I'm not leading anybody off the path. This is part of being on the path, is community. And choosing to come and to, to, to be together and to talk and to pray for one another and to do life together and to get connected and to hear God's word and to study it and to see if it's true, to see, is this crazy guy, what is he talking about? Let me dive in here. Let me verify. Verify. Look at it. Be inspired to love God's word more and have it transform you so you stay on the path. What path are you on? What path are you on today? Have you stayed on the correct path or have you veered off to the right or to the left? Teshuva, come back. Maybe it's recommitting your faith. Maybe it's showing up to invest and give back. Maybe it's to stop isolating yourself and making excuses about why you can or can't do something that God is calling you to do. Engage in the kingdom. Be part of helping bring the kingdom of heaven crashing back into earth. Partner with the king. The kingdom is here now. And this is the good news of Jesus the Christ. Be a blessing to all nations. Be a blessing to all nations. Be a blessing to those that you're going to go interact with this week. They're looking at what does Jesus look like? What does he act like? How is he functioning? How patient are you? How much compassion do you have? Where are you moving your stuff and putting his stuff? How do you stay on the path? Let's move all the way to to verse four now, since I got five minutes left. 
John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. Josh's clothes were made from Costco and untuck it and he had some overpriced hiking shoes on. Does not tell you anything about me. (laughs) But this tells you something about John the Baptist. If you were a Jewish listener, you'd be like, what? Did you say camel's hair? Did you say a belt around his waist? Are you trying to say that this is Elijah? Because you know what happens if Elijah is coming back? Because we know the text. If, wait, did you just say who he was? You sneaky little man, you little tax collector, Matthew. Join me in reading Malachi. I'm going to read more of it than maybe we have. Elijah was a, was a prophet. And guess what John is? He's a prophet. Malachi 4, surely the day is coming and it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. Farming analogy. And the day will, uh, will, is coming that will set them on fire. And this is not like a good, like, I am on fire. No, not that kind of fire. Says the Lord Almighty, not a root or a branch will be left to them. I wonder if there was something that was about a root or a branch in the text we read earlier. Hmm. Pause there. But for you who revere my name, the son of the righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Anybody know what frolicking well-fed calves look like? Some of my farmer friends do. I don't know that. I don't know. It seems like a good thing. I mean, it's a good thing. Then you will trample on the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave him at Horeb and for all of Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents. They will come back. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Ah, are you saying that you're the Elijah? Does this mean that the kingdom of, of God is near? It's now? Like you just said the kingdom of, of, of heaven was near. Ah. Let me show you. I mean, you guys want to see 400 years of time? Let me show you 400 years of time. See, this is Malachi 4 that I just read to you guys. And this is Matthew all the way, a whole page over here. And that's 400 years of time. You know what, you know what John the Baptist is doing? He's breaking the silent years. He has come back and he is breaking the silent years. And they are, they're like, we've been, like 400 years, we've had lots of people die. And like, Mrs. like, this has been a really quiet time from the Lord. John the Baptist is breaking the 400 years of silence. Let's carry on all the way to chapter seven. 
Uh, but, or excuse me, verse seven. But when uh, he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, who were the Pharisees, who were the Sadducees, and what in the heck are they doing down all the way down in the Judean wilderness, down by the Jordan River? That's a long ways away from their castles in Jerusalem and the things that they're doing there. What are they doing out here? They heard a ruckus was going on. There was something happening. People were, were, were getting baptized. I don't know if they authorized that. Well, they didn't come, he didn't come and check with me about this. Let's go see what's going on out here. And he, they get a real warm welcome. When he saw the many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, welcome. No, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? I thought you guys were toast. You brood of vipers. Where were we here? Man, where do we think about a snake? Where's the first place you think about a snake? I kind of think like Genesis chapter three. And what did that snake do with Adam and Eve? Did he help them towards the path or did he take them off the path? Huh? You brood of vipers. Maybe these people were taking somebody off the path. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not think you can say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. We come from the line of Abraham, so blah, 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 blah. He's like, your lineage don't mean squat if you're taking people off the path. Yeah, but my parents were Christians. Nobody cares. Doesn't make you anything. You got to build your faith. Are you taking people to the path or away from the path? You You can't just run on your parents' faith. My parents were not Christians. We have our father, we have uh, Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. He doesn't need you. He can do it out of these rocks. The ax is already at the root of the trees. Do we just, wait, time out. Do we just read something earlier about trees and roots and axes? The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that did not, does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I would take these folks back to Numbers. This is one of the places it could take them when they talk about broods. And in verse 14 in Numbers, it says, uh, And here you are, a brood of sinners, standing in the place of your fathers and making the Lord even more angry with Israel. He's connecting them back to some other a brood of sinners, brood of vipers, people that were taking people off of the path. Let me tell you this. You do not want to be someone who takes people off the path. You want to bring some, be somebody who brings people to the path. In the interest of time, I'm going to fly here. Let's go all the way to verse 11. It says, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. Because you've got to get back to the path. I'm, my baptism is about water of repentance to turn you folks back, to come back to the path, because you were off doing it over here. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I. John was a big deal. He had a following. He had disciples. You know, as you read in the text farther along, you'll see that some of his disciples left their rabbi, John, and went to follow Jesus. And you know what John was like? Cool. You should follow him. You know how uncommon that would be? You know how, what a freak idea that would be that you would not, you would leave your rabbi and follow somebody else's rabbi? Like changing churches and stuff would be weird. His, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
And we know at the end of the story that he baptizes with the Holy Spirit by dying on the cross. And he says he'll leave us a wise counselor. And that wise counselor is the Holy Spirit that indwells within each and every one of people who have confessed him as Lord. And you are, you're a baptism of the Holy Spirit. When we baptize you, we, we baptize people. We say we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, and uh, burning up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. Guess what you want to be? Wheat. You want to be wheat. Say it with me. I want to be wheat. I want to be wheat. Like, I want to be wheat. I want to be worth something. Well, wheat is worth something. Wheat has value, right? Wheat does something. It needs to be molded and pressed, and does, but it does something. So in closing here, where, do, where in your life are you making straight paths? Where would you, in your life would you think about it and look like, where am I making a straight path? One that's good for me to be on and it's good for others to follow me. And is that path closer to walking with God or farther away from God? Do you want God to come near to you? Do you want God to come near to you? Then call out. So what's John's message? John's message is repent. A Greek word that is used for repent there is uh, meataneo. And it actually even can mean the changing of your understanding. How many of us maybe need to change our understanding? John's baptism is about urging people to get back on the path. He's breaking this 400 years of silence. How are we living in the kingdom of heaven now? What am I doing to promote the kingdom of heaven? Where do you look for something when you lost it? Like, I don't know, I lost it, Josh. <laughs> no. Like, you kind of go back to like the place that you remember, right? Like, I remember losing it. And wouldn't it be interesting if Israel remembered that they lost something in the wilderness? Wouldn't it be interesting if they went back to the spot, this location that we're talking about, to find what they lost. Let's find that path together. Right here, right now, you as an individual, talking to your Father in heaven, where is that path? God, where do you want us? Join me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I'm excited about it. I'm so excited of all the cool things that you've taken us to, Lord. And how many remezes and things that Matthew ties back that opens our eyes to the text even deeper, Lord. And I ask that you'd put that unquenchable fire in each one of our hearts for you, Lord. That we would mine the text, that we would pick it up and we would look at it and we would pay attention to details and we would use the resources, the beautiful resources that you've given us, Lord. We are not without knowledge. Lord, I praise you that anyone can dive in and do the homework and research and the things that I got to do this week, Lord, and and get to know you better and to learn more about you. And I just ask that you would put that within us, Lord. 
that we would be as more concerned with the kingdom of God than we are with our own kingdoms. We'd be more concerned with coming to you and staying on the path and being bold enough to call other people to return to the path as well. And so, Father God, as we sit and contemplate, as we listen to this worship song, as we prepare our hearts, Lord, to receive you in an act of communion, Lord, I just ask you to speak boldly, you'd speak loudly into every mind and every heart here what you have for them, Lord. Help us stay on the path in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.